All right, well, for the first time uh, for a couple years, well, actually, I think maybe about a year and a half or so it'll take us, maybe two years, uh, I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Romans. Uh, This is a a wonderful, wonderful book. Um, I have heard pastors talk about how they want to have some seasoned time in the ministry before they would uh, tackle the book of Romans. Uh, just because of the doctrines that it carries and because of the truths and being able to uh, approach them um, well. And so I've been full-time preaching for over 16 years now, so I figure like the time has come. Um, and so we've, we've begun here. Many have called it the, the magnus opus of Paul's letters. That is just the, the supreme top, top, thing that he ever wrote, his crowning work. It is certainly the longest and can be argued that it, it is his best. It is certainly the most theological of all of Paul's letters. The theology in Romans is grand. Almost every doctrine of the Christian faith is mentioned in Romans. Um, Romans speaks about the awful depths of our sin. And in contrast to the blackness of our sin, presents the glory shining reality of the wonders of our salvation. How we are justified by faith with God, having peace with God, describes in chapter 5 the imputation of Christ's righteousness to our account. That that His righteousness isn't infused to us, is imputed to us, that is, it is given to us from an alien source. He exhorts us in chapter 6 to live righteously and counsels us in the difficulty and struggles to battle long and hard against sin. He comforts us in chapter 8 with the secure love of God in Christ. He's going to speak about the sovereignty of God in all things in chapter 9. In chapter 10, the priority of missions. In chapter 11, the future of Israel. But it's, it's not just a doctrinal letter. It's eminently practical as well. The second half of Romans speaks about how, how we should behave towards one another. It speaks about how we should behave towards those outside the church. It speaks about how we should accept one another with each other's foibles and each other's idiosyncrasies. Now, with such grand themes, many then have looked at, at this epistle to the Romans and have thought that it's a, a sort of systematic theology, if you will. Like, like Paul was laying out just, just, just his systematics of what it is that he believed, what it is is right. Much like, like Calvin's Institutes. It would be like his, his, his statement on what he believes. Or someone else, Grudem's Systematic Theology. Or Charles Ryrie's Systematic Theology. Just to, but I think it's an error if you come to Romans and you think it's a systematic theology. Because it, it's not... Because, and I think one of the things that, that, that brings an error to that, if you look at Romans just in a doctrinal way, is that it would, be, it would cause us to just a mere study of our salvation, which isn't bad in and of itself, but that wasn't Paul's heart. Paul had a, a purpose in his heart. See, Paul isn't giving us a theology lesson, he's giving us a missionary appeal. And I say that is so important to understanding Romans. I want to show you what I mean by starting in chapter 15 of Romans, because this is where Paul's purpose just opens up. It's where he, he describes why he's even writing this letter to those in Rome. want to begin in verse 15. But on some points, 
I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So we need to just take that verse and kind of step back a little bit and just reflect on what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about his, um, his commission as a missionary to the Gentiles. In fact, this commission took place the very first day of his conversion on the road to Damascus. You remember he was blinded by a light that, 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 was, that was common. He was entering the city and couldn't see and he had to be led around. And he was taken into Damascus and led to a man named Ananias. To whom the Lord had appeared and said, I got this message from Saul. I want you to tell him how he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So in other words, Paul was blinded and God says, I got a purpose in that blinding, Paul. It's so that you are a missionary to the Gentiles, to kings, to Jews, right? That you are going out. But particularly, what Paul emphasizes here in verse 15 and 16 is his his um, ministry to Gentiles, non-Jewish people. And after his conversion, he spent a decade or so learning about the Christian faith, alone with God. And then in Acts chapter 13, his missionary career began. When he was bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. That's when, when this prayer meeting in Antioch, where, where the, the men in Antioch, the leaders, were crying out to God, were ministering to the Lord with fastings and with prayers. And the Holy Spirit spoke and said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called them. Of course, that means Paul. Set Barnabas and Paul to the work I have called them. And so they, they laid their hands on Paul and Barnabas and they took off. They went west. Just guided by the Spirit, they went west. And what I've done here is I've got a, a map of of Antioch, which is north there of Jerusalem. You see Jerusalem's over here. Antioch is quite a bit north. And uh, we're just going to zip through Paul's missionary journey. Here, see, he, he, goes, he goes through. He's going he's gonna to sail. Oops, we're going to go this way. He's going to sail um, on into Cyprus, arrive in Salamis in the east, and pass through that island and go to Pamphylia. And then from Pamphylia, he's going to get on the boat and sail again to Perga, Pamphylia, and then he's going to head up north into Pisidian Antioch, and there he's going to visit three places, Lystra, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe, and in every case, he's bringing the gospel to the Gentiles, the Gentiles hadn't heard of the gospel of Christ before, and they're, they're going there, now, of course, I'm not sure if you remember, but he was stoned and left for dead in, um, in Derbe, Paul said, I haven't finished my sermon yet, he got up, went back into Derbe, preached there, And continued on, returning back into Lystra and then Iconium and back on the way home. And as he was going, Acts 14, verse 22, he encouraged them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. He was appointing elders in every city. And then he came back, and he came back to report these things in Antioch. So let's see, he's coming across sailing into Antioch. He speaks to those in Antioch about how God, what God had done with them and how God had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And there was much rejoicing there in Antioch. That was his first missionary journey. But, but Paul continued on. Some days later, he said with Barnabas, let's, let's go and visit those churches in which we're at. Let's, let's encourage them and see how they are. 
If you remember the sad story of church history, there was a dispute between Paul and Barnabas, and they separated. Barnabas sailed west, and Paul took Silas, and he walked north in order to get those cities. And so they began to walk northward, eventually coming to Derbe, and then hitting Lystra and Iconium. At Lystra, he picks up Timothy, and he's in Iconium. He continues westward through the region of Phrygia, but he's prevented by the Spirit of Jesus to go south into Asia, and then prevented by the the Spirit even to go north into Galatia. And so the Spirit was, was working, the Spirit of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus working to say, this is where you need to go. And if he's at Troas, like Phil read for us today, there's a Macedonian call. Come to us in Macedonia. Macedonia is, is up there, and they're just being guided. They're, they're trying to go into Asia. The Spirit stops them. They're trying to go in Bithynia. The Spirit stops them because God had a plan for them. Going to Troas to, to preach the gospel. And so as, as he goes there, he goes into, uh, um, into Macedonia, visiting there at the, the land, lands at Samothrace, he arrives in Neapolis, and journeys on to Philippi, uh, Thess- Philippi, where he started church, Acts 16, if you'd have continued on with Phil's reading, you come with that, Acts 17, he starts a, a church in Thessalonica, he soon goes on to Berea, and then he goes on to Athens, and then he goes on to Corinth. Uh, starting, starting churches there. He stayed 18 months there in Corinth. Uh, and then, then he seeks to return. He stops by into Ephesus and stops there for a short time. And then he goes back into Caesarea. And then he gets up to Jerusalem. And then back finally to Antioch. That's his second missionary journey uh, of what it takes. And so I'm just showing you that Paul is a minister to the, gospel, to the Gentiles. And he's going out. He's got a passion for God And God was using him mightily, planting churches, seeing people come to Christ. And you just can't keep Paul down because he goes on a, a third missionary journey. Because Paul, you've got to catch this for Romans, he's a missionary at heart, bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. And his third missionary journey, he is again there in Antioch. And he, he passes through the, the regions of Galatia and Phrygia, just strengthening the disciples. And he comes to Ephesus, finally, and he lands there for three years. And he's just teaching the souls in Ephesus about Christ. And here it's where Paul resolved in the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I'll go to Rome. And so after he was in Ephesus, he went up to Macedonia again. And so was going to be there in Macedonia visiting some of these churches. And then after that, he was going to go to Rome and uh, when he arrives there in Corinth on his third missionary journey, resolving to go to Rome, this is probably where he wrote Romans. I pick it up in Romans, chapter 15, verse 17. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone's foundation. But as is written, those who have never been told of him will see and those who have never heard will understand. That's why he wants to go to Rome. He wants to preach the gospel there in Rome. 
Because Christ really hasn't been, been named there. See, remember, all these missionary journeys have been around here. He says, I preached from Jerusalem, way down here, up to Illyricum. Maybe you can see it way over there. It's modern-day Albania. I've preached to all this region. I need to go beyond. I, I'm kind of done with this region. I fulfilled my ministry. I need to go on. So he wants to go to Rome, is where he wants to do. He wants to preach where Christ has never been heard before. Now, it's not that they hadn't heard <clears throat> the gospel before in Rome. I mean... He's writing to a church in Rome. There was a church that was established there. It was probably established there from, the, so folks, from some folks who were from Rome, visiting Jerusalem during the day of Pentecost, heard the gospel, brought the gospel back, started a church, and things were, were going on. But from Paul's perspective, he saw it maybe as, a, as an infant church or as a, a church needing help. There's more opportunity around Rome, to be sure. And he said he wanted to be there because he's not gone there yet in the West. And I tell you, that's what's exciting about Ivan and I when we go to travel to Nepal and India like we did this last time. To go to places where the gospel really hasn't penetrated. Like this, this past trip we took to Arunachal. I mean, the gospel's there, the, the church is going, but it's, it's so new and it's so young. It's like so encouraged, like, like the church in Rome. It, it is very young. Like, for instance, when we went there, went to the Bagra village, and um, there was enough Christian presence to have, have a church... And uh, they just had the New Testament translated in 2008. So they've had their New Testament in their language for eight years. And certainly that means that there's been some missionaries there learning the language for a long time, translating in, into their language. And I'm sure they're probably working on the Old Testament. Who knows when that will be done. That's a, a mammoth task. But they knew places where their whole villages, where people didn't know Christ. They would say there are 400 homes there in this village, and nobody is a believer in Christ. We visited a village where there was one family that believed. And there are about 400 homes in that village, too. And he desperately wants a church. And they're saying, but we need some more people to come. We need some more people to, to give their hearts to Christ. But they're faithful workers there, but it's so new. Right? And these, these people are sun worshipers, and they're being called to... To Christ, And so it was so encouraging for us to see these faithful workers praying, visiting these unreached people groups, praying for them, preaching to them, waiting for the Lord to open their hearts like God did with Lydia. And I just say this, it's so different there than in America. I mean, in America, we have churches on every corner where Christianity has been in our culture since the founding. Now we're losing that. But just the fact that you can turn on the radio and listen to some Christian music, the teaching is going away. But here in Rockford, at least there's some music or something. There are opportunities for the gospel. Almost everybody in the city can walk to a church to find some kind of Christian, by name at least, help. And so it's so different. And so Paul said, I'm kinda, I've fulfilled my ministry here. I want to go to Rome way up there in the upper left. Because there's, there's, there's opportunities there. But, but Paul's vision wasn't just for Rome. Paul's vision was for beyond Rome. Continue on in, in Romans chapter 15. Look at verse 22. This is the reason why I've so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, that is, right, in the eastern region where he was, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. Once I've enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem to bring aid for the saints, to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contributions for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. That's why he had to go to Macedonia to get this collection. 
And uh, they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought to be of service to them in their material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. And I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. And there you see Paul's ultimate gaze. It's for Spain. The gospel hadn't come yet to Spain. There are no church, no converts, maybe few contacts there in Spain. And Paul knew that the people in darkness needed to hear the message of light to come out. That they might see the glories of Christ. And here's, here's Paul's plan. Right? He was up in Macedonia and Achaia. He got this collection, which, by the way, it's in the sovereignty of God. In our, our, our prayer meeting, we're going over the fighter verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, which talks about this very collection that he's picking up. And he's taking it from these people in Macedonia, and he's going to deliver it back in Jerusalem. So we see from Corinth, um, going back, and he goes back up through Macedonia and Achaia. And then he, he sails back to Jerusalem, stopping just briefly in Ephesus because he wanted to get to Jerusalem for Pentecost. Um, because that's where all the people were. That's where the opportunities were. And indeed, he, he met there. So he was there at Ephesus for, for three years. And if he got into the city, he know he'd get sucked down. So he just out, met the elders there on the beach of, the, of Miletus. And he made it to Jerusalem in time for Pentecost. Paul was going to regroup, maybe in Jerusalem, maybe up in Antioch, regroup, and then go to Rome and head on to Spain. So there he is in Jerusalem. Maybe go there, go to Antioch. Go to Rome on his way to Spain. Now, in God's providence, he made it to Rome, but he didn't make it like he expected. Rather than coming as a free man, he came as a a prisoner. His crime is preaching the gospel. He was preaching the gospel all the way around. He came back. The Jews were jealous, and they confounded some false charges against him and uh, arrested him. And for his own safety, he was... Uh, transported to Caesarea, where he remained in prison for several years. He had, had the opportunity in, in Caesarea, if we got, him, we got him here, preaching the gospel to kings, Felix and Festus, and uh, even King Agrippa. And then he appealed to Caesar, and so he went off on this tumultuous sailing venture off into Rome. And he's kind of going all over. He's hiding behind the islands because of the storms and and storms were coming, and remember they got shipwrecked there on the island of Malta, and uh, he was there. And eventually, though, after some time, he finally arrived in Rome, which a letter from Corinth had got there sometime earlier. And that's where the book of Acts ends, right there. Paul in Rome, under house arrest for two years, several years, proclaiming the kingdom of God, teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. They were waiting for some folks to come from Jerusalem with the charges against him so they could hear the charge uh, because he had appealed to Caesar, but he was there kind of waiting, if you will. Now, we don't know if he ever made it to Spain or not. Um, There's no evidence that he did, and uh, my guess is that he didn't because surely there would be people who would say, yes, he made it, and here's some some clue, but there's not. In church history, there's not. Uh, Church tradition has it that he was beheaded right there in Rome. This is all the farther that that he made it. Now, why do I bring up all this stuff about his missionary journeys? Here's the reason. You've got to see in Paul a passion to preach the gospel. 
He's preaching it all around. He's going. And he's even willing to travel all the way across here. And if we think of on our travel, difficult travel was a lot more difficult as he was traveling across to Rome, wanting to, to reach out to Spain. Um, and and, and, and here's, here's the issue, is that you need to understand Paul's passion for the gospel, because if you don't realize that, you won't understand Romans. You might just understand it as a theological treatise, but you won't get the heart and the passion. Because Paul's letter to the Romans is a missionary support letter. That's what this is about. He wants support to help the church in Rome to get him to Spain. Look at chapter 15, verse 24. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. So when Paul says here he wants the church in Rome to help him on his way, that's a polite way of asking for money, for funds, to help him on his way to Spain. You see, the book of Romans is not unlike letters that our family receives every week or, or emails. See, Yvonne and I have, have many missionary friends, and uh, some of them we support financially and some we don't, but we, we do receive lots of letters. And I just, I just grabbed some letters that I've, I've received recently, just kind of in a pile. And this is from Tim Sattler. He works for Leadership Resources. He's talking about just a, a Fellowship of the Word group he's got down in Georgia. And here's a letter from... Here's a, a letter from the Kellys, of course, who was here in my absence preaching. He's talking about his, his trips to even streets of Havana up to, to Cuba and, and going on. Uh, I've got something here from Steve Leston talking about to every tribe. Um, it just, you know, we, we get these letters or we get these emails just updating us on their ministry, giving a vision for the future, um, sharing prayer requests and giving opportunities for us to, to give financially. Uh, and, and, and sometimes these are missionaries who are new to us who want us some support. So here's, here's a guy I met um, who's a ministry to check. I met him. I don't even know who these guys are. I just kind of picked this up, something about Ithaca and the, the Gideons. Of course, they email always wanting money from, from, from us. And uh, here's some team stuff. Maybe this is thank you. I'm not, I'm not sure. But, but all these letters, maybe you get them as well. Do you? Who do you, know you get? All these missionaries. Okay, good, good. The more you're in the Christian subculture, the more you, you receive all these things, okay? And they're not, they're not bad. But this is what Paul's letters to the Romans is. It's a support letter saying, hey, I'm going to see you, and I want to be helped by you. Like an email I received this week from someone who said this, I'm writing to you to introduce myself humbly, and I humbly ask you that you consider partnering with me in my work of training national pastors in service of the global church. Sounds familiar. I have recently been appointed as an international trainer with an organization called Training Leaders International. Our family of five will soon be relocating to Minneapolis, where TLI is headquartered. We'll be leading five to six international teaching trips each year to provide theological education to pastors in undeserved regions of the world where they have little to no access to such teaching. The need is great. Local pastors and church leaders are eager to learn Missionaries and training schools are requesting our help. This, just this month, I traveled to Haiti, where I was able to teach 20 local leaders two courses, the Doctrine of God and Biblical Theology. They were thrilled at the opportunity to have two weeks of focus studying these important subjects. In 2008, my wife and I took our three children to Turkey, where we served the last seven years with the International Mission Board. That's the Southern Baptist Missions. While there, we ministered to Turkish and Kurdish Muslims doing evangelism and church planting. Due to some medical and educational issues, our family returned statewide this spring 
but our hearts are still very much overseas. So we are excited by the opportunity to continue international training through TLI. Because of our previous work was funded through a denomination, we're now starting from scratch in an effort to raise support. I'm asking that your church consider supporting us for the sake of the church's name among the nations. If you're interested, I'd be happy to set up a time or for a call or a video conference. I'm also planning a trip to northern Illinois in mid-September so that um, might provide a great opportunity to meet with you or another church representative in person. Thank you for your consideration. I look forward to hearing from you soon. Grace and peace in signs his name. I get this stuff all the time. And um, we got to figure out what to do. I mean, we can support a, a lot of people. Now, this one um, is one from, I happen to know this guy's brother. And so he comes to town. I'll probably meet with him and see what he is. And I think he's worthy of support. As I do a dozen other ministry, missionaries I think are worthy of support. As you know dozens of missionaries that you think are, are worthy of support as well. And I just tell you, when it comes to missions, it's just difficult to know because the need is so great and our resources are so few. Um, regarding missionary support, it's, it, I feel like I'm a, a kid in a candy store who's been given a dollar. How are you going to spend that dollar? And, and the kid looks around the candy store and, and sees gobstoppers and, and gummy bears and Andy's Mints candies and, and licorice and dum-dums and smarties and, and um, bazooka bubblegum. And he sees Three Musketeers and he sees Milky Way and he sees Snickers. And, and he's just, he's just kind of getting way up. And then the everlasting gobstoppers look good. Maybe that's the best investment, right? They're going to last a long time. And he... And he doesn't know what to do. They all look good. And indeed, they all are good. But he's only got a dollar. How to spend that dollar. And so it is with missions. The need is great. Far beyond our ability to support it all. We can't. We just can't support it all. But with a heart to give and some means at our disposal, we can support some. And Paul was asking for those in Rome to support him. As he goes on to, to Spain and, and, and I don't think when Paul asked for help here, I don't think it was just financial. I mean, certainly any kind of help. I'm sure Paul, Paul would take prayer. Paul would take partners to go with him. Uh, Paul would certainly support, accept any kind of resources. Maybe someone owned a boat, could charter, a, charter a, a trip with him to Spain, could take him there, whatever, cost-free. Maybe there are contacts in Spain. Maybe there's help with the language or the customs of the day. Maybe there's some travel advice. Maybe just flat-out encouragement. Whatever, Paul was just looking for help, looking for a, a rocket boost, if you will, from Rome on beyond. And as I, I thought about starting Romans, not next week, but the week after that, but when I thought about Romans being this missionary letter, I thought about what's happening next week. Um, next week, Joel and Tara Fafa are going to be here from India. They're very excited to come. Bob Clinton's going to come, and they're just going to share about the work of what they're doing. Uh, next week, it's not going to be a typical sermon. It's just going to be them sharing the work, kind of like what, what Paul is doing. Just what, what is he doing? And, and we've helped Bob Clinton over the years financially. We have purchased land for them, for a children's home, for a church. We, we've helped with construction, costs for construction of buildings. And we've, some of us have supported, are supporting children in those homes. We've, we've supported them financially with earthquake relief money. We supported Bob personally. We've often prayed for first love and their work and prayer meeting and from this pulpit. We, we just sought to do what we can. And, and they're, they're going to be with us this week. Normally we have gone to them. Some of us, I've been there. Phil, you've been there. Darren, you've been there. My dad was there. 
uh, one time, and um, next week they're going to come and share their lives with you. And it's like the Apostle Paul coming and proceeding on. We have a great opportunity to help them on, on their way. And so I just encourage you to think about how you might want to help them. Might be just committing to pray for them. Might be with encouragement. They're going to speak here on Sunday. We're going to fellowship dinner afterwards. You're going to have all the opportunity in the world you want to. Well, maybe not. There's some limitations, but you'll have opportunity to to talk and speak with them. And I just tell you flat out, they're one of my heroes of the faith, living in a very difficult place over in India. Let's get back to Romans now. It's a great application for us. We get back to Romans. We see Paul seeking help. Because of his passion for the gospel. Right? We see that next. It's a point of my, my diagrams here. It's just to show how passionate he was for the gospel. But um, it's not only from the book of Acts that we see Paul's passion for the gospel. It comes from the context of Romans itself. So turn back to chapter 1. I just want you to, to look down beginning at verse 13 of chapter 1. I'm just trying to survey Romans for you, if you will. Just try to get a feel for the purpose of why it's writing. So when we get into some of this, you'll... You'll always be reminded of where, where it is. Paul's visiting them in Rome. He says in chapter 1, verse 13, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles, because there's a harvest still to be, be reaped there in Rome. And I am under obligation, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Now from everything we know of the Apostle Paul, this is entirely consistent. He just has this passion to preach the gospel. I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. You can see it in his life. You can see it in his words. In fact, I think this is one of the primary reasons why his theology is, is coming out of his mouth. is because he wants to tell the Romans the theology he's preaching. He wants to tell them that this is the gospel that I have, that, that I believe, that I'm, I'm bringing. This is what I'm eager to preach. This is what I want to bring to Spain. Will you help me in that work? And Paul had a passion that Ryan read for us. Some, I'm going to miss it. But C.S. Lewis said, right, either Jesus is everything or he is nothing. Right? He's not, he, he can't be like Jesus is, well, sort of. He's a good teacher. Well, he's, he's a good teacher. If everything he said was true, that means he resurrected from the dead. He died upon the cross for our sins. That makes him a great teacher. It's awesome. It's overwhelming. Or he, those things weren't true, and he's a, he's a liar. That's what C.S. Lewis is talking about. And then we ought to be so overwhelmed. Our jaw ought to be dropped. A jaw to drop at the message of the gospel in Romans. I think that's what Paul is doing. He is so excited about once once he started talking about the gospel, like he does in verse sixteen. Uh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He starts, starts writing and writing and writing about the gospel under the inspiration of God, and thank God for this work. And another application comes right here. What about you? Are you eager to preach this gospel? Are you eager? You know, I, I remember a. A man had a, had a conversation one time with a pastor, and he was talking, and, and I get this question a lot. So how's, how are things at church? Just from people outside the church, how are things at church? And then I kind of respond to that, and this man was responding how things were going, this pastor was, and, and then he says, well, hey, we're doing good. I just finished preaching through the book of Romans, and, and then the man said, um, oh, well, good, I'm glad you did. How, how did. how did Romans change the evangelistic flavor at your church? And the pastor was Kind of dumbfounded a little bit, confused, and, and, and the man explained, right, how missions and evangelism is 
heart of Romans. And how a proper exposition of Romans should propel a church into zeal for evangelism and zeal for missions and zeal for outreach. And, and at that, the pastor's face drooped because he realized that he was so interested in the details and doctrine of salvation that he missed the whole purpose is to get it out and to, to spread it. He didn't preach along the missionary evangelistic lines. And I, I'm just putting up at the front. I, I'm just praying for us as we pray through Romans, we preach through Romans, just may that not be true of us. That we get just so interested in seeing, oh, hey, there's a great salvation that we have that we forget the whole reason is written is as a missionary appeal to take this message to the remotest parts of the world. I'm praying that God would stir my own heart to evangelism, my own heart towards reaching out to the lost, to speak boldly with others. And I just hope that as we finish the book of, of Romans, that our church has been renewed afresh with a heart and passion to go and speak with people. So I'm going to be praying just that, that every week my aim is going to be to, to speak the gospel with one person. I don't know if I can do this or not, but I just to speak the gospel with one, just clearly laying it out. It might make an effort because for you all, you might have someone at work. For me, I've just got to create all types of opportunities, whether it's with neighbors or with people in the workplace or whatever. So I'm going to have to work pretty hard on that. But by God's grace, praying that this this eagerness that Paul had to preach the gospel would be true of, of my own heart as well. Here's my theme for the book of Romans. Okay, Eager to preach the gospel. That comes right from chapter 1, verse 15. Paul says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And that's what Paul's saying. I'm eager to preach the gospel. And through Romans, he is preaching the gospel. And the question then comes to you. Are you eager to preach the gospel? Does your passion meet Paul's? Well, maybe here this morning you say, I don't even know what the gospel is. Like, how could I share the gospel with someone? Well, may I suggest, as, as Rachel mentioned, the Romans road. I mean, just think about the Romans road. Just, just pulling some verses from Romans, that if you say, okay, well, okay, I want to share the gospel with somebody, but how can I do it? I've never really done that before. How can I do that? Well, I just say memorize five or six key verses in Romans, and you can do it pretty well. And so you start, Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. That just might stir you up to say, okay, I'm not ashamed of this message, which to the world is foolishness, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And then you talk with somebody, and, and you just think through Romans, right? Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And you, you talk, I get to do this, just say, hey, look around. Don't we have a lot of sin around here? I mean, look at our culture. Everybody would confess to some measure of sin. Some see some things okay, but at least there is. And we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And that is me. And that is you. But Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. In that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Yes, we're sinners. We're under the wrath of God. His condemnation will justly fall upon us. But because of his love, he came and died for us. See, the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, see, Christ died for us so we might believe in him and might escape this death, but might have this life. And for those who believe in Christ, Romans 8.1, 
There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You believe in Christ, the condemnation that comes upon you is diverted. It is taken on Christ and not on me. And then the, the promise, Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And there's the gospel of the people, right? Do you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord? Do you believe that in your heart and you will be saved? You won't fall into the wrath of God. And someone who believes in that is going to have a life that's changed in light of the mercies of God. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Right? Give yourself entirely to God. That's what this message calls for, a, a total sacrifice. So if you're looking to say, hey, can I share the gospel? Well, just memorize those verses. Romans 3.23, Romans 5.8. Romans 6.23, Romans 8.1, Romans 10.9, and Romans 12.1. You can write those down, spend some time working on those, memorizing them, just saying them out loud over and over and over again, and you might be equipped then to at least begin to preach the gospel. That's what Romans is about. I love the hymn that Charles Wesley wrote, the 11th anniversary of his conversion. Oh, for a thousand tongues to speak, to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. See, Charles Wesley was so enamored by the gospel that had had saved him that he said, oh, I wish I had a thousand tongues to speak His praise. Is that your heart? I think Paul would say it, that he, he didn't use those words, but that definitely echoes the tune of Paul. It says, I'm eager to preach the gospel. And, and I'm hoping, by God's grace, that we as a church will come like Paul, be so enamored by the gospel, our jaws would drop, as C.S. Lewis said, and we would be eager to preach the gospel and see people come to faith in Christ. That's what I'm hoping for, Romans. Next week, we're going to have an opportunity for missionaries to come. We can help them on their way. The week after that, we're going to start Romans chapter 1, verse 1. So let's pray. Oh, Father, I pray that you would help us, oh God, to be eager to preach the gospel. Thank you for Paul and his example and his modeling and his zeal. God, that he said he labored more than all the other apostles. And yet he said, it wasn't me, but it was the grace of God within me. And so, God, even as we have heard this call this morning to to preach the gospel, to be eager to preach the gospel, I pray that we might labor long and hard more than others, and yet say at the end of the day, it's, it's not me, but it's the grace of God within me stirring that in my heart. And so God, may you stir our hearts here at Rock Valley Bible Church to be those who reach out, those who reach out to neighbors or friends or relatives. God, with deeds of love and mercy, which are followed by, God, the, um, the call of Christ. Faith working through love. God, may we love people because of our faith and may our, the, the object of our faith come through is what we say. Father, I pray for those perhaps who can't go through the Romans road that they might even think about these verses and might take some time and put them on cards. And so they'd be ready at the, the drop of a hat to be able to speak how we are sinners. But God loved us, died for us, so we don't have the wages of sin, but we have no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We just simply need to believe in our heart confess with our mouth, and we'll be saved. What great mercy that we then live totally for you. 
Oh God, thank you for this message in Romans. God, be with us as we go through this passage, go through these these wonderful verses. Help us not to be mired in the muck. God, help us always to see above them what the, the purpose of them is. Help us to be better evangelists, spreading your word to a lost and dying world. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.